And we are on page 8 of the notes in our Biblical Worldview 101 notebook. And it looks like we have a few copies for anybody who needs one. Len has some here. Larry has some. So if you need a copy of the notebook, get their attention. They'll get it to you. And we have been on page 8 for weeks. So let's get off page 8 today. And today is uh, a bit Spartan up here because most of you know we are, this is our last hour at this uh, building. So we have been here for three and a half years, and this is the fourth building that our church has met in on Sunday mornings. Started at Summit High School, then Patrick Henry, oh no, then Brownstown Middle School, then Patrick Henry Middle School, and then the last three and a half years here. So we've been vagabonds for our 11 years. But it's our last hour here. Next week we will not be meeting here, and that's why it's Spartan a bit. They've been already, already started taking stuff out. And uh, if they took my microphone, I would take that as a hint, <laughs> if they took that early. But uh, uh, we're moving stuff out this afternoon. Uh, guys are going to be loading up some trailers that are out there, taking the contents over to our ministry center location in anticipation of meeting there next week for the first time. Now, if you were with us in our first hour, uh, you heard me say that that is not absolute as yet because toward the end of this coming week, the building inspector has to come and give his final approval for a certificate of occupancy. From our standpoint, we've done everything that needs to be done or will have done it in the next couple of days. So we think it's all going to be good, but you just never know. And because you just never know, we have uh, reserved the Westfield Activity Center uh, for next Sunday in case we need an alternate location. So we will not be meeting here, and we think we'll be meeting at the Ministry Center next uh, Sunday, if not at the Westfield Activity Center. And if you are on our email list, then you will get an email toward the end of the week letting you know which. Okay, So pray about that, that the things that need to be done are done to the satisfaction of the city so that we can have our first service there. In either location, the time will be the same. 10.30, 10.30. So instead of 9.30 as we normally do in our first service at the new place, uh, we want folks to just get, have an opportunity to get acclimated uh, to the surroundings and all of that. So when you come at 10.30, that will actually be the refreshment time, and you can kind of uh, go around the building for a bit. And then at 11 o'clock, we will have our worship service. So no Sunday school that day. The kids will be in the, their worship area, and they will go to their classes so that on that first week, they've at least been able to spend 30 minutes or so in their class so they know where it is and what it looks like and all of that. And that following week, we'll have our regular schedule, 9.30 and uh, 11 o'clock, okay? So 10.30 next week at one of two places, hopefully at our ministry center. Pray about that, and we'll let you know. If you're not on our email list, then either make sure you know somebody who is, and, we'll, and you can contact uh, or on your way out, I'll give you my card, and it has my email address on it, uh, or we can write yours and add you to our email list so that you get the info at the end of this week, okay? So that's the big, uh, the big issue. There's uh, nothing else that I need to announce that's uh, outside of what's in the program. I encourage you to take a look at that. Guys, we've got men's fraternity going on Wednesday evenings and Friday mornings, and we encourage you to participate in that. You'll see some other stuff listed in there, like family camp, uh, in June, and you have uh, just a couple of weeks to uh, reserve your spot at family camp, and the phone number is listed there for you to do that. 
Our next Newcomers Brunch is in March. That's a Saturday at our house. That's listed in the program as well, so take a look at that, okay? All right, page 8. In our series at the top right-hand corner says Biblical Worldview 101. And for these last several weeks, we have been looking at the components of a view of the world that is consistent with what the Bible teaches, thus biblical worldview. Viewing the world, looking at the world from a standpoint, from a perspective that is consistent with biblical teaching. And worldview affects everything. Worldview affects how you see everything. The lenses that you put on through which you see the world will affect how you interpret the data with which you're confronted. So there is no such thing, contrary to popular opinion, there's no such thing as just a brute fact. Uh, All facts have to be interpreted. And people interpret facts based upon the lenses they're wearing, based upon your worldview. And this affects very important things like, you know, dating fossils. Okay, it's a fossil, and that fossil, it's a fact that that fossil is this age. Well, there are some assumptions that go into that. And we saw those a few weeks ago. And depending on your worldview, you will adopt one set of assumptions versus another, and that will affect how you look at it. Now, we're looking at the same thing. But we're interpreting it differently based upon our view of the world. So worldview is the lens through which you see everything, and it affects everything. Well... That's almost useless because when you talk about everything, how do you get your arms around that? So as a pedagogical tool, I just like saying pedagogical. As a teaching tool, we've tried to categorize then the components of worldview so that we can get our arms around it. And the good news is that a biblical worldview can be, uh, everything in the biblical worldview can be placed in three categories. Creation and fall and redemption. And we've called creation orientation. And that is who God is and what he expects from us. God creating, God the creator, giving instructions to the creature and telling the first man and the first woman who they are, why they are here, who he is, and what he expects from them. So a biblical worldview begins with creation, an orientation to God, ourselves, and his world. And then, unfortunately, chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible, Genesis tells us that, that there was a fall into sin. And so the second component beyond creation is fall. And instead of orientation now, you have disorientation. So Adam and Eve, who were in relationship with God, who were made for fellowship with God, who were clear on who God is and who they are and what they're supposed to do, They now fall into sin, and as a result of the fall into sin, the lenses through which they see God themselves and the world are now cracked. They're now foggy. They're now distorted. So what was clear is no longer clear. You see that as you read Genesis 3. As you read Genesis 3, you see that now everything is questioned. I mean, the goodness of God is questioned. You know, this God with whom I had this relationship now, I'm not so sure he's good. I'm not even so so sure I heard you straight. You know, the serpent said, did God really say? So everything now is in disarray. Everything 
is distorted. Everything is disoriented. So a biblical worldview starts with creation, orientation, who God is, what he expects from us. But then it involves also the fall, disorientation, who we are and what our problem is. And if a biblical worldview stops there, then we are miserable indeed. Thankfully, the good news, the gospel, is that God has undertaken to make right what has gone wrong because of the fall. And so there is this third component, redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Orientation, disorientation, and then what's the third one? Reorientation. God is reorienting his world. He's reorienting us to himself. He's reorienting us to each other. He's reconciling the, the physical world to its original purpose. God is reorienting all things. And finally, God is going to have a new heaven and a new earth with redeemed inhabitants in it. But God is in the process of calling out people in redemption who have been uh, affected by the fall. Okay, So... Orientation, disorientation, reorientation, creation, fall, and redemption. And I said that creation is who God is and, uh, and what he expects from us. The fall is who we are and what our problem is. And redemption is what God is doing about it. That's what redemption is, what God's doing about it. And we are in the second of those three. Top of page eight, disorientation. And we've been looking at, then, the effects of the cracked lenses, the fog, foggy lenses that we now have and through which we see the world. And those effects are vertical. You see on page 8, it affects first and foremost our relationship with God, and everything else flows from that. So all of the other stuff now we talk about is always, at all times, connected to our relationship with God. It starts there and it ends there. The solution to our problems is ultimately a restoration of our relationship with God. That's what's broken vertically. And that in turn affects our relationships horizontally. So when there's a problem on the horizontal plane between creatures, between humans, whenever there's a problem there, there's first a problem here. On the part of one or both of those parties. And so I say when I counsel folks, you know, and it, you know, a lot of the counseling is refereeing, right? You know, there's this dispute going on. But I, but I say to people that every, every dispute, or every relationship always involves at least three persons. Now, it may involve more on the human level, but you have, to have a relationship, you've got to have at least two humans, and then you've got, and then you have God. And the most important is always God. And if we don't deal with the God factor, forgive the grammar, we ain't going to get anywhere with dealing with the horizontal plane. Okay? So the vertical effect, our relationship with God, has effects on our relationships with each other, and then the bottom of page 8, also on the physical world itself, the environment. And we saw last week that as God announced consequences because of the entrance of sin now into his good world, among those consequences is effect upon the environment, the physical world. And now this pristine paradise 
in which Adam and Eve were placed is now going to be a place that produces thorns and thistles and the difficulty of Adam's work is going to be increased exponentially. By the sweat of your brow now, you're going to have to do this. Now, we're going to then continue talking about the effects of the, on the environment, the physical world, and some practical applications of that. But just a preview of redemption. You know, in chapter 3, God's announcing all these consequences. But he annou- in the midst of announcing these, these consequences, in verse 15 of Genesis 3, he says to the serpent, you know, you're going to crawl on your, on your belly. And he says, I'm going to put, God says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. So God is announcing early on, I'm going to do something about this. And the something I'm going to do is going to come through the seed of a woman. So there is, God's giving this hint that there's going to be this one coming into the human race who's going to be the solution to what has happened in the garden. I'm going to put enmity between your seed and, and her seed. And then God says, you, Satan, serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And so God gives this note of hope as he gives these consequences. And we will see the full uh, explanation of that note of hope in s- subsequent lessons. So bottom of page 8, to the woman he says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We saw what that means last week. If you weren't able to be here, all of our stuff is recorded on on our website. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed then is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you, will eat the, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So Adam, here are the consequences. You're going to die physically. You were made from dust. You're going to return to dust. I had announced to you, Adam that you may freely eat of all the trees in the garden, but of this one tree in the midst of the garden you may not eat, and in the day you eat of it you will surely die. But here is God talking to Adam, so Adam has not died physically, but Adam has in that moment died spiritually. Remember, death in the Bible is separation, and so Adam and Eve, in the moment they sin against God, are separated from God. That's that vertical effect. And so spiritual death is separation from God. And the Bible teaches people come into this world at conception, at birth, and they are separated from God because we are born dead spiritually, separated spiritually from God. Physical death is is the separation of the spirit from the body. And then eternal death is the third kind of death the Bible talks about. That's the separation of the individual from God forever. So you've got spiritual death, separation of the individual from God, physical death, separation of the spirit from the body, and then you've got eternal death, separation of the individual from God forever. Now, separation of the spirit from the body in physical death. That means that we are two components, physical and spiritual. 
material and immaterial. So every human being is comprised of these two components, physical, spiritual, matter, and immatter, not matter. Okay? And you, you see this in Genesis 2-7. God has made Adam's physical body, and then the Bible says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. You see this when Jesus hangs upon the cross, and in, in his dying moments, Jesus cries out to the Father, and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit what? My spirit. And the Bible says, and then he breathed his last. And so he dies physically. Spirit separated from, from the body. When we die physically, it's the separation of the spirit from the body. So it is not just expiration of the ability to intake and exhale uh, oxygen. It's not just that. It is, biblically, the separation of the spirit from the body. Now, I'm just making the point that we are those two components. I think for us here, that's probably non-controversial, that we are not just physical, that we are more than physical. But then there's the question of how do those, how do those relate? And I want it to be clear then that when we die physically, it's because our spirit has departed the body. Now, the Bible teaches, Christianity teaches, that there will be a reuniting of the body with the spirit. That's what the resurrection is about, the physical with the, the spiritual. But when we die, and Adam is going to die, says the Lord to him, you're going to go back to dust, from dust you were created. You're now spiritually dead. You are, therefore, going to be physically dead. Do you hear what I said? You're going to be physically dead, therefore... It's because of spiritual death. See, why is, there, why is there physical death? Because there's spiritual death. The reason that there is death is because of sin. And the wages of sin is death. And this is a core principle of Christian teaching. That death is because of sin. Now, just as an aside, but... If you try to harmonize what the Bible teaches about God's creation of all things in six literal days, if you try to, to harmonize that with so-called science, and you throw on the, the white flag and say, we somehow have to make these days something other than literal days, we'll make them ages, well, then you've got a real theological problem. Because now you have... Humanity being created at the end of these ages. There, we would be in the sixth age, right? Created on the sixth day. But what's been going on through all these other ages? Death's been going on. Disease is going on. Well, where did that come from? Well, the Bible teaches it came from sin. But there ain't nobody around to sin. So now you're reversing the Bible's cause and effect that the wages of sin is death. And the only thing that is going to remedy then that, that sin is the death of one who is not affected by sin. And so these are foundational truths of Christianity, and you've got to get it right at the beginning. And so death comes because of sin. Physical death comes because of spiritual death. 
We are physical, spiritual, matter, and and immatter. Now, how do those relate to each other then? Well, it means that you're not just a machine. That you are not just your body. That you as a person are not just the sum total of the physical organs that comprise your body. But we sometimes forget that. We are more than that. We are, yes, the physical body, but we are spiritual beings as well. And the spirit operates on the body. The spirit cooperates with the body. The spirit and the body were made for each other. The body ceases to function when the spirit departs. Separation of the spirit from the body. And so, you, I said last week, for example, your, your mind is not merely your brain. That we use those as equivalent, that the mind is the brain. But the brain is, we say, the gray what? The gray matter. And it is. It's the matter. That means material. But remember, you're more than matter. And your mind is not just the synapses firing in your, in your brain. It's not just that. Now, it is that. It includes that. But it's not just that. So, when I have thinking problems, are those spiritual problems or physical problems? When I think in ways that are not thinking God's thoughts after him, when I think in ways that are not reflecting God, remember I was made to image God. We were made to image God. And so I'm to think and talk and act like God would think and talk and act. But when I'm thinking in ways that are not like God would think, is that because the gray matter just ain't working right? Or is there a spiritual component as well? How do those two interact? And if you're a materialist, now, materialist, we think of, you know, Madonna, the material girl, which just means, you know, I'm, I'm a material girl, I'm living in a material world, which means I want a lot of stuff. And, that's, and, we, and we call someone that just wants to amass stuff a materialist because for them, they behave in a way like that's all there is. So therefore, get all of the matter that you can. So their view of the world is a materialist view. So we've come to then think of materialist to mean somebody who's trying to amass wealth. Well, that's true, but they do that because of their view of the world, and I'm sure Madonna has never thought about her view of the world. But nevertheless, if she really buys into what she says in the song, then she has a materialistic view of the world. Matter is all there is. But we don't think that, do we? We don't believe that. We don't believe that matter is all there is. We don't believe that it's just the physical world. And so you are more than that. And when you have thinking problems, it is more than, not less than, but it is more than just the gray matter that we have to consider. But a materialist, one who believes it is just matter, then will simply confine what's going on Two, what's happening in the gray matter? 
So if I could take a picture of someone's brain at a given point, and that person is that person is melancholy at a particular point. They're, they're down, they're, they're crying. And I take a picture of that, and I'm able to look at what's firing, what's showing up red and different colors and the gray matter. If I'm a materialist, I can say, let me tweak with that, and we'll fix you. But if you're, if you're somebody who says, well, back up for a second. I mean, that is really important. Because the brain is given by God. The brain is part of God's physical creation of us, our bodies. And so taking that picture and looking that, at that is extremely important. But there's this other component. And how do you analyze that other component? How do you get that on an MRI? How, how does that show up with a, with a CAT scan? Where does the spirit show up? Do you see, does like Casper wave? There's a ghost on there. I know he's hanging out there. Clearly, you're not, by definition, you're not going to see the spirit, right? And you're not going to see that through an MRI. You're not going to see that through a CAT scan. You're not going to see that through an X-ray. But if you're a materialist, all you care about is what you see on the X-ray. Now, just stay with me. So I see stuff firing. And if I'm a materialist, that is both cause and effect. What's going on in the brain? Both. It's all right there. And from a biblical worldview, you would say, but there's a spiritual component as well. And what effect is the spirit having on the brain? What effect is the Spirit having on the way we think? So, I've laid out two components. Biblical worldview, you're not just matter. You are physical and spiritual. You are matter and immatter, immaterial. Both of those work together. And then, as you try to analyze what's going on, why am I thinking the way I'm thinking, you now want to view that from a biblical worldview standpoint. If you're a materialist, you'll look strictly at the gray matter. If you're looking at it from a biblical worldview, you'll try to take into account the totality of who we, who we are. Everybody see the deal? Everybody see the potential problem with how we deal with our problems? So why do I think the way I think? Now, I'm gonna look at, I want us to look at a, a few passages so that we're clear that the mind is more than, than matter. 1 Corinthians 14. And if you don't get this, you will you'll either be a materialist. If you don't get that both of these work together, material and material, physical, spiritual, you'll either be a materialist or you'll be a mystic. That's the opposite. A mystic, mysticism. That is, the physical component is bypassed. So on the, on the one side, the materialist bypasses the spiritual component. On the other extreme, the mystic bypasses the physical component. And neither of them are biblical. A mystic 
believes, and there are lots of Christian mystics, and lots of Christian mystics who don't even know what mysticism is. They're crawling around our churches. You might be one. We say things like, you know, God deals with my heart rather than my head. Somehow you've got some rubric where the spirit bypasses the brain. And I'm here to tell you the spirit doesn't bypass the brain. God gave you the brain for you to process thought and for you to process thought spiritually. So you've got the materialist on the one side that bypasses the spirit and then you've got the mystic on the other side that bypasses the the material. And 1 Corinthians 14 is speaking to a bunch of Corinthian mystics. Now, I, I grew up on Ecorsian. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I grew up in Ecors. But I grew up an Ecorsian mystic because I grew up Pentecostal. Most of you know, know that. And so I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My dad was a Pentecostal preacher. And, you know, as a kid and as a teenager, I didn't know that we were mystics. But we believed that the spirit bypasses the mind, or excuse me, bypasses the brain. And the, and, and the spirit communicates directly with your spirit. And I, and I don't say this to be pejorative. This is just the way it went. The spirit would sometimes, and this is about, it would just immediately, that's the right word, immediate, not mediated. The spirit would go directly to your spirit without the mediation of the brain. It would immediately zap your spirit. And when your spirit is zapped, then you get up and do whatever the spirit zapped you to do. It might be run. It might be slain in the spirit. Anybody ever heard that phrase? It might be speak in languages that you've never learned and you don't understand. And really importantly, no one else does either. But that's what would happen. You speak in ecstatic speech. The spirit could zap you, but the spirit, the key thing is the spirit is bypassing the brain. And Paul's writing to a bunch of people who did that? The Spirit would zap you and, and, and motivate you, compel you to do something. And so Paul's addressing that. I want you to notice some of the ways he addresses that. Verse 13. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For, here's why. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. You see, Paul is, is starting to say that this is inadequate for you to simply have the spiritual component bypassing the mind in its entirety. So what shall I do, verse 15? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. Sing with my spirit, but also sing with my mind. Further, that's with, that's with tongue speaking. That this is not a mystical experience that bypasses the brain, but involves the spirit and the brain, our minds. 
But further, with regard to prophesying, I want you to notice what he says. In verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, let me stop there. See, in the zap approach, in the mystical approach, the spirit motivates your spirit. By pay, you're not in control. But notice the assumption here with everything Paul said. You've got control in this thing, two or three at a time. Well, if a fifth gets involved, if, you're, if you believe in mysticism, you can say, the Spirit zapped me. How am I supposed to wait until, you know, number two and number three are finished? Really? So Paul's entire assumption here is the Spirit does not bypass the brain mechanism for you to make a, an informed and individual and deliberate and intentional decision to do what you're doing. You are not just zapped and then out of control. So two or three. Others should weigh carefully what is said. Verse 30, if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Now just think about the control, the intentionality going on here. Stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now get this principle in verse 32. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Do you see that principle? You see, the spirit is not, and again, I'm not trying, is not just on the loose. The spirit is not just grabbing people, making them do stuff involuntarily. And that is because the mind is not, on the one extreme, not just the gray matter, but it is also not just the Spirit, Holy Spirit, communicating to our spirit. Now, I'm telling you, guys and gals, that this mystical error is rampant in Christianity. And it shows its face on TV like all the time. Kenneth Copeland, Fred, Fred Price, all these guys have the spirit talking to their spirit. If you listen to these guys, they have this happening all the time. And, and, then, you, and then you get you know, well-meaning Christian people who haven't been taught very well, and, and then you know, they see people doing stuff, just stuff out of control. I mean, the next verse, verse 33, says God is not a God of disorder, doesn't it? But that's what the Corinthians are doing. And the amazing thing is our Pentecostal friends are seeking to emulate what Paul was condemning the Corinthians for doing. But well-meaning Christians will look at that and they'll go, well, who am I to say if it's the Spirit or not? Well, the only gauge I've got, the only gauge you've got, is the book God wrote. And so I have to go and I have to say, God has to tell me how the Spirit operates. And how the brain and the spirit operate together. But thankfully, our God has not left us in the dark on that. He has told us in 1 Corinthians 14, a passage specifically devoted to dealing with the activity of the spirit. That it is not mystical, and it is certainly not materialistic, and it is not mystical. And so I just have to go to that, and you just have to go to that, and we have to teach our friends to go to that. 
And God says the Spirit does not just take control of you and make you do stuff involuntarily. That is not how God acts. All right, so that being the case, why? Because it's not materialism, a materialistic approach, and it's also not a mystical approach. And if you take a mystical approach that says, I've got no way to judge, determine, evaluate whether or not this is something from God or not, dear friend, you are wide open, wide open to whatever somebody says God told me to do or made me do. You know, so this is kind of a, a baptized version of the devil made me do it. Wasn't me, God made, God made me do it. The Spirit made me do it. So why are you violating what the Scriptures say very clearly about things being done in order and, and, and just a few at a time so they don't have mayhem going on because God's not a God. So why are you doing that? Because God made me do it. God doesn't make you do stuff contrary to what God said He won't do. Spirit, body, matter, immatter, and how they react, how they interact together. So if I have then a problem in my thinking, we, from a biblical worldview standpoint, do not look at it first as only a physical matter. And we also don't look at it as only a spiritual matter. Right? So we can, and we do, we make those same errors in the way we deal with our own thinking, in the way we deal with the thinking of others. So someone struggles with depression. And on the one side, the materialist will say, they'll always say there's a pill for that. Because it's a material thing. So if I can tweak the matter, I can fix the thing. So there's a materialistic way to fix that. There's a physical solution to that. But then the person who is in error on the mystical side will say, no, that's only a spiritual problem. Well, it's not only a spiritual problem either because they work together. That's your mind, spirit, and brain. So now what we have to do is we have to look at those together. Now, is this just as an aside... This is for free. Everything else I said is for free as well. But if you liked what I said, you can pay me at the door. I'm kidding. If you don't like what I said, I'm not giving you anything back. No refunds. All right. But has it ever occurred to anybody, has it ever occurred to you why it is that people who, are, who commit heinous acts who are out of their mind, that it's almost invariably heinous acts they commit? Has anybody ever thought about that? In other words, I mean, if it's just, your brain has gone completely haywire. It's just a material issue. Then wouldn't you have, it would seem like you would have a 50-50 shot that what the person will do is the brain has gone completely haywire and it's just as likely that they're going to be giving $100 bills to people indiscriminately. That they're just going to be doing random acts of kindness. 
as it is that they're going to go and shoot a place up. I mean, if it's just the wiring going crazy, if that's all it is, then why don't we have a 50-50 shot at that? But we know we don't, do we? I mean, almost without exception. I'm sure there are exceptions to this. That's why I keep saying almost. But almost without exception. When, when the brain has gone haywire, and there's no denying that here, there's no denying that from a biblical worldview, we are matter. The matter matters. It is part of our mind. And when that ain't firing right, things ain't right. But why is it that it almost invariably goes in a negative, sinful direction? And I would submit to you the Bible has a reason for that. That there's a spiritual component as well. So if you, if you suffer from, from a brain problem of whatever type, with whatever label, it is perfectly legitimate for you to get help for that brain problem. That's a physical organ, a material organ. Get help for that. But do not assume it's only that. And get help for spiritual issues that attend that as well. And those of us who counsel and seek to encourage and seek to help our friends who struggle need to be extremely careful that we are fully biblical in what we say. Oh, that's just a spiritual problem. Be careful, friends. The Bible says we are physical, material, and the material matters. And if it's messed up, if it's not firing right, then it doesn't happen right. And just like you would need to get help with other physical organs in the body when they're not right, you need to get help with the gray matter when it's not right. Now, I have another book to recommend to you. Then. It's called Blame It on the Brain. Question mark. Blame It on the Brain. And Ed Welch in that book deals with the stuff I'm talking about deals with the interaction between the spirit and the brain, which comprise the mind. And to help us identify what's going on in spiritually, what's going on physically, and how they interact, how they interact together. Now, if you want that book, uh, I'll, we will have some copies for you next week. I got a bunch of copies of stuff I mentioned last week for this week, and the people at the Resource Center hate me. For, and what are you, you're holding up two? Two copies of Blame It on the Brain? You guys are going to get stampeded for uh, the two copies of Blame It on the Brain. And those are on sale now, if you hurry, for, what are they on sale for? Ten, ten bucks, okay. So we have two copies there, we'll get more, okay? So from a biblical standpoint, we look at spiritual issues as having an effect on the brain. We look at physical brain issues as having an effect on the way the spirit operates on the brain, our mind. It affects our mind. And so God does not, notice 1 Corinthians 14, God does not simply bypass the gray matter to communicate to the spirit. And therefore, it's important for us to have healthy gray matter. It's important for that to be firing on all cylinders. So I'll end with this. Back to the CAT scan, back to the X-ray, the MRI, whatever you do with the head. 
the materialist will look at it and will say, that's what's going on. And the key is, not that that's what's going on. That's all good. I'm good. I see that. But remember, your worldview determines how you interpret what you see. So I see the same red spots. I see the same things firing or not firing that you see. I see this hemisphere going and that hemisphere not going. I see this front lobe, lobe firing, this one not firing. We all see that, right? We all see the same stuff. But is that the cause or is that the effect? Is the brain reacting to something that's going on with the spirit? Or is it, is it a truly physical problem? The, the gray matter is not, is not behaving as designed. And from a biblical worldview standpoint, you do not assume that it is simply confined to the gray matter. And so you deal with spiritual issues. We deal with how we think. We deal with how we deal with life. How I process life. Do I, do, I, do I look to other gods in order to help me through the difficulties of life? I say other gods. You guys know what I mean? What are the, for, what are the forms of those other gods I can look to? I mean, it can be in a bottle. It can be, you know, I revert back to my high school and college days and just, you know, just smoke some pot. I mean, seriously. Just to take my mind off it. Uh, I escape in various ways. I might physically leave. Do I look to other gods to deal with the struggles of my mind? And where I should first look from a biblical worldview standpoint, is look at what God says about my anxiety and my worry and about himself and about myself and his world and his control and his glory and his goodness. And I remind myself of all of that, all the while taking care of the gray matter and what may be wrong with the gray matter. That's the way we counsel each other. That's the way we look at it from a biblical worldview. Let's pray then. Ask God to help us implement that this week. Father, we do again thank you for the opportunity to analyze what you have told us in your word and how it applies to us. And Lord, we struggle. We struggle mightily and we struggle in so many ways. We struggle physically. And we are body. We are physical. We are matter. You made us this way. And yet our bodies are broken. Lord, our, our brains are sometimes broken. They, they just don't work right. We thank you for the ability to see how they're not working right. We thank you for the ability to treat the ways in which they are not working right. But Lord, help us to all the while, as we thank you for that, and as we treat physical issues, material issues, Help us, Lord, to always be keen to the fact, the fact, the biblical fact from a biblical worldview that we are more than matter, that we are more than our bodies, that we are spiritual beings, and that the person, the whole person, is both physical and spiritual. And that, Lord, our spirit, your spirit, operates on, on, on our spirit through our brains for us to think your thoughts after you. And yet we struggle with that. We want to think our own thoughts. 
We think distorted thoughts. We think sinful thoughts. We think untrusting thoughts, faithless thoughts. Lord, I do this. I do this many times every week. My brothers and sisters here do as well. Lord, you know every thought we have. Lord, we want to, as your word tells us, we want to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And in so doing, Lord, we need your wisdom to deal with the totality of who we are. I pray that what you've allowed us to see today and last week will be of help as we analyze our struggles, that we will deal with them in their totality. As a result, we will get the help we need physically and spiritually so that we're able to please you with our lives, including our thoughts. Go with us this week, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.